I'm going to be talking to you this morning about uh, some bringing together some of a potpourri of some things that have been happening in Jackson in our lives at the church, Community Bible Church there. And we just finished a series on the book of Ruth after 10 weeks and uh, found that it is a wonderful, beautiful love story, a manual for husbands and wives. It also is an incredible uh, a list of do's and don'ts for the Christian faith, bad behavior and good behavior. Uh, you can see that as you study Naomi's reactions and what she did, some of it very good and some of it not trusting the Lord, and Boaz as well. And so it was a study in practical Christian living. We also spent most of our time, or did spend most of our time, on the third subject in the book of Ruth, and that was prophecy. And we uh, just uh, enjoyed that, seeing how much of the Old Testament is prophecy giving us from the book of Ruth, only four little chapters, perhaps some of the highest literary work in the Old Testament, uh, truths about prophecy. And that was pretty fascinating to find that Boaz is our Goel, or Goal, as you pronounce it, and uh, uh, which is translated redeemer. And he redeems uh, Naomi's property first, then he marries Ruth after Ruth asks him to. All of this is significant. Every detail is significant. And this Gentile woman uh, comes and becomes his wife as she asks him and invites him to be her husband. And then he restores her to God. And she has already chosen to make the God of Naomi her God. And then as we find, uh, as the book uh, consummates at the end of the, uh, the fourth chapter, that, um, well... She is in the line of Christ and uh, down through Obed and then down to David. And God gives us that as prophecy in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of prophecy. It has been said, and I've heard different figures, that about 40-some percent of the Bible at the time of its writing was prophecy. I'm going to make some suggestions to you today that might uh, trigger your thinking. You might first say, I don't know what he means by that. And I might uh, frustrate you a little bit. I had a conversation with a man at the table. We just had a 50th anniversary for Ken and Mally uh, two nights ago. And a uh, man at my table, at our table with Bev and myself, uh, I just got into, he asked a question or two, and that's always dangerous with me. And so I started laying on him some biblical concepts, and I could tell they were somewhat new to him. He was a visiting person that night, uh, invited to come, behind-the-scenes type thing for answers. And uh, two, two daughters were there. And as I was going through this, I saying to myself, I'm not sure I'm saying this a way that he can really grasp up front instead of just turning me off or saying, this guy's crazy uh, because of the things that I was saying. We at the Bible College and our church community Bible and at Answers in Genesis were very similar, uh, have an understanding of the authority of Scripture. And our first board meeting for AIG was actually held in, first official meeting was held in Jackson Hole around our little campfire there, our fireplace in our dining room. And it was early on that we decided that our ministry really was not creation evolution, as you may suspect. That's a surprise to many. Uh, but it really is the authority of Scripture. And if you can't trust the beginning of creation, the Creator God, and what He did in Genesis, then all the dominoes fall in the New Testament. So it's critical, uh, hermeneutic, to go back and understand what God has done, see it clearly and see his hand, and then how it all lays out for us, the need for a Savior, etc., and how the New Testament is going to fulfill the, the complete the message that God has given to us. Uh, 
So this, I'm going to lay this on you this morning, a little message. Um, I'm not, sometimes I say to myself, I'm not a pastor. been doing that for a long time, but um, 48 years in the same church or so. But uh, teacher, teacher, yeah, maybe God has gifted me with that, and so it's to his glory. And each of us are important, by the way, in the body. I try and spend time with all the behind-the-scenes people at AIG to let them know there is no such thing as I'm in a higher scale than you are or, or I'm doing something more important than you are, you're doing something more important than me. God doesn't grade us like the world grades. He doesn't take us and compare to each other. He compares us to the gifts and the talents he has given to us, and we need to be faithful in those areas. And so we're all heads, hands, feet, part of the body of Christ and serving him and bringing, bringing him glory. My students have been here for a whole week uh, hearing professors and hearing our, our research team, so they have been drinking from a fire hydrant. They've actually been doing that now since they joined us in August with Dr. Benware and others who are our staff uh, who come and in a modular way teach on a weekly basis. So having finished this, uh, this uh, 10 weeks in Ruth, uh, it's still... The Lord is using that in my life to, like spokes of a wheel, draw me to the center of where he's working on me right now and helping me understand more and more who our God is and what he is like. And we spend a great deal of that of time at the college. Everything goes back to God. Everything originates and starts with God. Now, that may puzzle you and that may cause you some ways to think, but if we have time to discuss it, maybe I can... Uh, give more information there, and if you have questions or think I'm saying something of a heretical nature, I would like to know that. I would like to be corrected, uh, but it may be how we say it or how we posit it. Everything goes back to God. God dwelt in eternity past. He had no beginning. Our God is incredible. He's the only God that exists. This is all can be sustained from the scriptures. I'm not going to take time to sustain this all right now. That means to reward our knowledge with the support from the text, but it comes from the Bible. He's the only God that existed and exists, and he's the only God that will exist. There's only one. That's why he deserves all of our praise. That's why he can be jealous of someone who takes his glory, because his jealousy with God is not a sin. It's holy and just, because he deserves all the praise. That's why God is so sticky uh, so severe when it comes to the, any of us who step in between him and his praise. He does share his glory with us, and in heaven we will be glorified. But that all, again, goes back to God, not from ourselves. doesn't originate with us. And then we ask ourselves incredible questions. What did God do with himself for eternity past? Hmm. I cannot comprehend that. I can't even comprehend a million years, let alone eternity. He dwelt in eternity. What did God do for eternity past? It's amazing. Now, why am I getting into some of this this morning? We're going to conclude with the text in Second Peter. I want to get there. But uh, because everything comes and originates with God, all good gifts come from above, and... It's my misunderstandings about God or my neglect of understandings about God or my ignorance of the characteristic attributes and, char and purpose of God from which come all of my ills, all of the ills of mankind come directly from some misunderstanding, misapplication of the truth of God. If we look around the church today, there are lots of sick people spiritually. Why? Their views of God are at fault. 
or they're in rebellion against God, even as believers, pushing away some of the things that God tells us about himself and we don't like it. Can you kids imagine what God did by himself? No angels, no human beings, no one but the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Only one God, but three persons. Don't ask me to explain that. It's beyond comprehension. But that's what the Bible teaches. Was he lonely? Did he ever get lonely? And the answer is no. He didn't get lonely because the Godhead is 100% efficient and sufficient. God was totally satisfied all by himself. Now, even though we can't comprehend concepts like this, they are extremely important to us because if God, for example, got lonely somewhere and decided to create us because he needed someone to talk to, or even he created us to show himself to them, to gratify himself in some way that would fulfill himself, not his desires and will, but himself, then God has a problem. God's faulty. If he made me because he's lonely, then I have something to give to him. Oh, then I could barter with him. Are you listening? You see human beings do these kinds of things. Oh, and in a sense, sometimes Christianity gets homocentric. That is, we focus on people so much that we don't focus on the Lord. And so I'll give you phrases as I continue on till we get to Second Peter that may disturb you, but I want to make you think. Hmm. Was the chief purpose of Jesus dying on the cross to save me from my sins? And the answer is what? Who wants to be risky? No. No, it was not. The chief purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was to obey his Father and to bring God glory, period. It just so happens that he is a good God, and his death on the cross is sufficient and efficient and blesses all of us who believe. But you see, if we only focus on Jesus died on the cross for me, after we sing a thousand songs in 20 years of being a Christian, of me, 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 we start missing the point that it's God, God, God. It's Jesus and the glory that he deserves and receives, should receive from us. Are you with me? I'm not saying it's not important he didn't die for you on the cross. Of course he did. Okay. So he came, sent by the Father for his glory that he would get the praise forever. Okay. So he wasn't lonely. He didn't need us. And then he decided to when did he decide? I'm going to tackle that in a second. When did he decide to create us? Trick question. We're going to get to another imponderable. He never decided to create us. Hmm. You mean he didn't have a plan? Not like you and I think of the word plan. 
we think a plan that somebody's going to build a building and now you have to make decisions how big it is, where it's going to be, how tall it's going to be, what materials are going to be used. Then you make a decision to go different. The, the zoning board says you have to do this and you change your plans and you try this, you try this, you go different directions. You finally come up with what you hope is the best. God never, ever planned anything. He always knows. I didn't say, do you agree with me? I'm saying, do you understand what I'm saying? Then you can debate it. Did I didn't say, do you comprehend this? Because the answer is no. You cannot. No one can comprehend this. Does God have a plan for Don's life? Yes, but not like I think of a plan, where it's a pretty good idea, and then maybe I can add to it. You see how we can get into trouble? No, his plan for me was something he always knew from the beginning of time. No, not my time, from eternity past. That's amazing. That's why the Bible makes it clear to us that when did Jesus die for me? God has no time. Just as sure that he died for me 2,000 years on a real cross, he actually gave his life for me. And eternity passed. He died before the foundations of the world for you by name. That's incredible. If you begin to think about God this way, you realize what that has to do with eternal security. We realize what that has got to do with things like uh, wanting his will, not just debating his will. Lord, I want to know what you want me to do. Why do you ask it that way? So then you can evaluate it and try and find it. You don't have to beat yourself up trying to find the will of God. If he already knows what his will is, you just have to stay in touch with him and walk with him, and you're going to find it because that's his promise to us. So many concepts of God that we don't take time to meditate on and think about. An eternal being who always knew me knows about me from eternity and has all the power, all the power. So when Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, speaks the creation into being in Genesis 1, it is the Father's directive and it is the Son's speech, calls it into being by the power of his voice and it is the Holy Spirit who enacts it and does the work. This is true all through the Bible. This is why Jesus in the book of John said that he never spoke or uttered one word. He never did any miracle, not one, but that it was the direction of the Father. Some of the disciples said, Jesus, show us the Father, and that's all we need to say. Jesus says, oh, fellas, haven't you been watching? Haven't you been listening? You see me, you see the Father. That's why I came. That's why specifically he shows us the Father literally. And that's why in the blasphemy sin, when people, the Jewish leaders said, you're doing these miracles by the power of Satan, Jesus says, that sin's unforgivable. Why? Because it's unbelief. You're crediting, Jesus said, my works to someone other than God. And that's unbelief. I will not die for that. I can't die. For unbelief. 
if you have unbelief, that will take you to hell. God gives us grace. Wow. Ooh. So all through the Bible, we see the connectedness of God's thinking and who he is. So we spend time in prophecy in the book of Ruth, and I'm only going to take two minutes on this. That's all I dare. Um, when you think of prophecy, you, you think of predicted events because God sees everything at the same time. It's a poor illustration, but he's in the top of the Empire State Building looking down on the Macy's Parade, and he can see the beginning of the parade, and he can see the end of the parade at the same time. We can't do that. By the way, Satan can't do that. Satan is not God. Only God is infinite. Only God is God. So God can then make predictions about the future, not just because he knows everything about the future and so can guess correctly what's going to happen, but it goes further than that. He can predict the future because he has not just all knowledge of what will take place, push pause, he doesn't just know what will take place. He knows what might take place if something else took place instead. Are you, is your mind getting a little sore in your brain trying to think about this? Jesus said, if I'd have done the miracles in that town that he did over here, they would have repented. He knew what would have happened had he done a different set of miracles or a different number of miracles. Now you can pause and say, why did he do that? And then you really get deep and start snorkeling because he had a will and chose to do that. But Jesus knows where you'd be this morning if you would have been born in another family or if you'd not been born at all, or he knows where you'd be today if you wouldn't be on the bus coming here from Jackson, Wyoming. Are you with me? He knows all things. So it isn't just that he knows what's going to happen. He's aware of all things that are possible that could happen. So when Jesus prays the prayer in the garden, he says, Father, is there any way to save these creatures other than my death? And the answer, of course, he knew the answer. But he was pure man, so he prays that prayer. He lets us know that he was a pure human being, a real man, totally human. And the Father says, no, no other way, only way. You see how many doctrines are going to get and fall into place? Coming from what? Nature and character and attributes and the will of God. You get something wrong there, and other dominoes are going to fall. Why else can he do this? Well, he does it because he is um, all-powerful. He can arrange and structure. Some books like Esther doesn't even mention his name. But he's there nonetheless, as the old rabbi, Messianic rabbis would say, you can find Jesus in every verse of the Old Testament. God's hand is always there, doing whatever he wishes to do. Push pause. There are things that God cannot do. He cannot do anything that is in opposition to his nature or character. That would be unjust. He cannot create someone equal to himself. That would be unjust. Hmm. He cannot sin. He cannot and does not tempt us with sin. He allows us to sin. He allows us to be tempted. But he does not tempt us. Totally consistent in his holiness to us. All-powerful, 
all knowledgeable. We can, big names, omnipresence, omniscience. Okay, we can go through this and check those out and you ponder those and we just, uh, we wonder about those kinds of things. All authority. You kids don't like authority. You don't like when your parents tell you what to do. Do you understand that they don't have authority by themselves? There is no such thing as a human who has authority they can sustain. The only person I can even come close to, a person who thinks and thinks he owns everything and can think everything for himself is a person in a mental hospital in a padded room who thinks he's a dog and eats out of a dish in the corner and laps up water from a dish. Totally independent, modern man, intellectually insane today. Amen? Intellectually insane. Erase God and there's nobody to quote but us. And we're so faulty, we're finite. And even the man who thinks he's a dog in a cell still thinks he's a dog in a cell. Okay, he's still being driven by what he thinks a dog is. Oh my goodness. Your parents have authority in your home because your God delegated that to them. And so your mother and father have arrangement of authority within the marriage and they have arrangement with God that they are accountable to him. For the authority. This is true for employers, even in the New Testament, with those who had slaves, with the slaves themselves and with the masters. Because all authority is God's authority. Jesus set aside the use of that authority for a while, actually, the use of his God power for a while, to be born as a baby, a true baby. And even one time, what does he say? Only the Father knows. He how does he do this? How did he did, did he? I have not a clue how he did that. I have not a clue beyond me, but he became a man. God, and he didn't stop becoming God when he became a man, he was still God, and he wasn't God inside the body of Jesus. There was one person, the God-man. You get that wrong, and all the dominoes fall, 1 John 4, that he came and became a man for the purpose for which he came. How did he do that? I don't know. And the scripture says all authority is given back to him. It's the procession of the Godhead. My goodness, you have the Father planning or wanting his will and determining his will and stating his will and the Son being obedient. Oh, Jesus had to be obedient? Yes. He learned. Jesus, Son of God, perfect man, learned something about obedience that was significant. And obeying the Spirit of God and letting the Spirit of God use him and work through him. Oh my. Everywhere I turn, everything goes back to God. You say, well, no, that's not true. There's sin and there's rebellion. That didn't cart and stone start with God. You just said that. Oh, pause. What is sin and rebellion? What is eating the tree when God says, don't eat the tree? It's doing the opposite of what God said. And so God's nature and character and attributes become the foundation of all evil in the opposite of what he is. God says, do it, and you do it. Now that is evil, and that is sin. Sin's best definition is to do anything outside of the nature and character and will of God. Does that help you out when you're tempted? You bet it should help you out when you're tempted. Do you really want to choose to do this against your God? 
Well, you might get away with it if you think God is good, making good suggestions, and you're certainly not, you believe in him, but you're certainly not a Jesus freak. Or Satan is tempting you, and you're certainly not a Satan worshiper, and you think somehow you're in this middle, neutral position. You're not. Everything in your life is sourced in one of these two kingdoms, capital G and small g. The real God and the one who wants to be like him. By the way, he wants to be like God, not different from God. So he winds up being anti, A-N-T-E, and anti, A-N-T-I. He winds up being against God in his rebellion because he winds up being everything that is in opposition to God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. And a number of angels follow him and they're working very hard to tempt you convince you as a Christian, you don't have any choice in it. This is a temptation no one else has ever suffered. There's a verse for that. And then you use that as an excuse. Or you think somehow you're in the middle and you're playing games with this thing called Christ and your dedication to him. Oh my, Lord God. Amazing. There's a new emphasis. I see some of you using the LSV. And they've, uh, translators have uh, many places put uh, Yahweh to help us understand that that word chosen there is the word from the Hebrew. It brings a little perhaps more understanding of the reverence that, to that word. We use the word God so loosely in our culture today. Pretty precious. But God wants to be known and he wants to fellowship and he wants to be able to share himself with people forever. And that's the catechism is to know God and to enjoy him forever. I'm getting to the message. Whoever took the battery out of the clock, I'm very grateful. I'm going to use the anthropomorphic language. That means I'm going to put some heavenly truths in human form. It didn't happen this way. It did not happen this way. But for us to grasp, God's sitting on his throne and he says, hmm, I want to create somebody who can know me and enjoy me forever. What do I have to do to do that? Well, I'm going to have to give them huge brains. Maybe their brain will actually be 10 miles in diameter. With that much intellect and brain cells, they'll certainly be able to comprehend me. Answer? No. None of us starting with ourselves, no matter how much intelligence could ever find him. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. Any, can you say amen in a Bible church? I pastored a Bible church for 48 years. You can say amen. Amen. Well, that isn't going to work. No. The mind is set against God. It's enmity with God. How about wisdom? I'll give them lots of wisdom. No, the wisdom of man is in total opposition to the wisdom of God, and he destroys human wisdom. It's human Godly wisdom is not an extension of human wisdom. You get that wrong. See, you get something wrong about God. There's just like a quicksand swamp. Uh, I'll give them emotion. I'll give them the ability to put their arms around me. Then they can know me. And the answer is no. Why? Because your emotions are not capable. You are finite people. He is infinite. Which leads me to tell you that you're never going to know everything about God. Ever. Can you know him? Come on. Amen. Will you ever know everything about him? No. Oh, in heaven. How much time do you have in heaven? How much time? Eternity. Is that enough time to learn everything about Yahweh? And the answer is no. No. Going to heaven doesn't make you God. 
You're going to be redeemed. You're going to enjoy him forever. But, oh, to enjoy him forever. Oh, yeah. I love this one. Do you realize when you get to heaven, you'll never be able to be disappointed ever? To be disappointed just for a couple split seconds in heaven would mean that you could be disappointed with God. Do you understand? Amen? So you go to a Saturday evening worship service. There's going to be months in heaven. I don't understand all that. There's going to be time because we're going to be redeemed people with new bodies. And so there's still going to be the expression of time and doing things and being places. So you go to a Sunday night wonderful music fest and angels are going crazy and having a wonderful time and the orchestra is beyond. It's not Dolby 5 sound. It's nothing like that. It's totally going to be different. It's far superior to anything we have here. And you just it's a wonderful time of praise. Then you leave the service and you go outside and, and just for a split second, just for a, just for a flash, this thought will cross your mind. Maybe you've been there a million years now. Okay, you're in heaven. You're with me again. And just the thought crosses your mind. Oh, that wasn't as good as last week's service. Is that going to be possible in heaven? No. Why not? Well, you don't have the old nature. But it's impossible in heaven because you cannot imagine God. God's not taking you to heaven to make little gods so he can rest and go away and you take over. He's going to be the light of the day, the center of our moments forever. He is our creator. He's our sustainer. He knows all things. He's unchangeable. This is a huge one for you Bible students, a huge one. He's the same yesterday and for a day and forever. He cannot change so anything he reveals to us now in this book about himself, is this book the full revelation, period? Careful. It's the full revelation of what he has chosen to give to us at this time. Will revelation pick up again and start again in his presence? I presume so. That's why this will last forever. It'll always be the foundation and God was going to, it's not going to pull his mask off and be something different in heaven. He can't do that. Significance? Are you thinking with me? Significance? Take this stuff home and start thinking about significance. How secure are you with your salvation with Jesus? I'll tell you how secure you are. He can't change. He made a promise. He said he died for you on a cross. You believe that? He can't change that because he can't change. Oh, my. He has revealed himself in lots of ways, by the way. This is free. Mm. Through the Son, Lord Jesus Christ. In nature, even the God itself can be seen in the natural world because God created it, carries his fingerprint. He has spoken in times past through the prophets. We sang about that. You heard that this morning. Some of the scriptures that were read to you. And gave to us this book. This is now the closed revelation of God at this moment in time. So, all the others must be taken to this book, 2 Corinthians 10.5, every thought captive to Christ, the obedience of Christ. God has revealed himself to us. Now, I know I'm getting off on bunny trails here, forgive me, but he's, he's... He's so amazing. 
And when I got awake this morning real early and when I went to bed somewhat late, one thought hit me, who in the world do you think you are that you're going to stand up and tell people what I'm like? The foolishness of preaching. But he gave us the book. So we can quote the book. In the book of Ruth, there's a lot of prophecy. Oh my goodness. For those of you who are my, my, my persuasion theological, theologically, you've got Boaz, who's going to be the redeemer, not just for the property for Naomi, but for the future for Ruth. And Ruth is a Moabite, a Gentile. Oh my goodness, look for the details. You say, we have to be careful on typology, person, place, thing, or event that shows and foreshadows something about Jesus or his work or truth that God wants to have. Absolutely, you have to be careful. So you look to the scriptures to confirm. But even the tabernacle in the Old Testament was what? A copy, a copy, like a blueprint, a copy, God says, of the heaven. That's incredible. God uses prophecy all the time. I'm going to give you, I've got to move on, but i got to give you, I'm not going to ask you when you normally close because it's probably 15 minutes ago, but we're not there yet. Just hang in. I propose to you that you'll find prophecy all over the place. When God said to Eve and Adam, don't eat that tree or you'll die, that is prophecy. Do you understand? We think of prophecy as being foretelling God's word, like I'm doing now when I quote scripture, or foretelling events. Both of those are prophecies, a gift of prophecy, to do both of those. And in the New Testament, we have a lot of foretelling of events, and today we have a lot of foretelling of the truth of God. That's what you're supposed to be doing, too, in sharing him with other people. And God lays prophecy on us all the time. Every time he warns us about something, he's prophetically making a statement. Why? If you do this, this is going to be the cause. The Old Testament, blessings and cursings. New Testament, obey your parents and you're going to have a long life. Wow, is that a strange promise? Every time he makes a promise, it's what? Prophecy. Do you know God is in the business? What business is he in? revealing himself to us in this book which we now have which push pause god fears in the old before the old testament you want something to think about god fears before the old testament did not own bibles there was no bible for 1600 years on this planet and that there were people who believed in god how did they know god revealed himself i'll let you work on that So God comes and says, and a light bulb goes on over his head. Stop, push, pause. Is that how it happened? No. He always knew what he was going to do. God says, I can't give him big brains or lots of emotions. Emotions are wonderful. We need to study and read. What does the Bible say? Paul says, renew your mind. Study God's word. Put it away in your heart so you don't sin against him. All kinds of truths that he gives us to practice. God says, mm, I know, I'll give them the capacity, ready? I'll give them the capacity to believe something that they don't have to understand. I'll give them the ability to believe something even though they cannot comprehend it. And what do we call that? What? That's why, without it, 
It's impossible to please him because it's the only thing that unlocks the infinite to me. Then he can say it. Has he done that? And then I can believe it, even if I don't understand it. And then I get the benefit of it, even if I can't comprehend it. He is incredible. This is why a child can trust him and be saved. Wow. This is why the older ones of us, you say, boy, if I get as old as Pastor Chadwick, I'll have all the answers. No, no, no. Pastor Chadwick gets more questions all the times about God. Why? Why? Because every time he bumps into God, there's going to be questions. Because his God is so big. How big? Infinite. Well, that was my introduction to the message. And I'll give you what the message is. Turn in your Bibles quickly to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's going to be homework this week now. 2 Peter chapter 3. I cannot possibly exegete this text. Can't possibly do that. By the way, you say, I'm going to go to Bible college and I'm going to learn all about God. See, now you wouldn't say it that way. I'm going to learn all I can about God. I want to know him, Paul said. Okay. Who knows, Paul says in Corinthians. Who knows? What's the answer? Who knows the mind of God? Who knows? And the answer? No one but God. Boy, does he have surprises for us. Different, contradictory surprises what he's already revealed to us? No, can't be. It's just more of who he is. Forever. Forever. Second Peter, in this wonderful text, I'll read portions of it, and then we'll make a couple comments, and then we'll start thinking about closing here. In our church, we do communion last, so I'd have to be closing right now to get to communion, okay? And do you have other churches in the valley right here, and they all go to places to eat afterward? Is that true? Many of you go home. Many of you go to a restaurant or something. Well, I'm sorry, maybe the Baptist church gets out early so they can get to McDonald's before you and whatever. Today you'll be in second in line. Second Peter, chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in order that I'm stirring up your mind, since you're sincere mind about every reminder. I'm just going to read you a puppery. I'm going to give you some reminders. That you should remember the spoken beforehand, the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. We sang about that already, didn't we, this morning? And the commandment, by the way, underline that word where it says, remember the words spoken before him by the holy prophets. These are prophecies by the prophets, predictions of truth, statements of truth. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lesson, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Underline the word promise. And saying, where is the prophecy coming true about his promise? All of God's promises are prophecies from him. He's revealing things to us. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was in the beginning of creation. This is for Bible students. The idea of everything continues on as it always was. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Verse 7. But. Sometimes but is a conjunction. It's like the word and. And. 
the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved. There are so many things we don't have time. You can study this past. Go to your pastor. Ask questions if you can't discover this. You have the Holy Spirit, amen, who promised to lead you into the truth. So you have two forms of truth coming to you. Real quick, push pause. You have two, two ways comes truth through those who have the gift of pastor teacher. Okay? That checks and balances us. And we check and balance the pastor because we have the same Holy Spirit and our Bereans to make sure what he's teaching is from this book. It's always going back to the book. You got it? Oh, push a second pause. There are two types of truths in the Bible, aren't there? Did you know that? By the way, how much of this book is true? Are you sure? Let me ask you this question. I did this to my students. Don't you stare at their answer right now. Okay. True or false? This book contains truth. True or false? It's not efficient, not a sufficient statement. It's not a good question. This book does not contain truth. This book is truth. I don't care what page you go to, it's true. See how we get ourselves into trouble if we have a bad view of revelation from God? So there's truth in here that's true of what happened. David was with Bathsheba. Is it true? It is, a, is it now for us to live that way? No. Adam and Eve took the fruit and ate it. Was it true? Yes. Are we supposed to do that and rebel against God? No. So there's truth to live by, and there's truth recording what happens to those who do not and when they don't. But it's all true. Where was I? Somebody tell me where I was in this text. All right. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire. Second time, fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly. This is the theme of the message, so we're closing in on now. On a conclusion. Here we go. And I, again, you're going to have to read this on your own because I looked at this and there's no way to take and see all the wonderful things here. First time the world was destroyed by water. Push pause. I did a presentation at Creation College at AIG one time, a long time ago, over at High Point or where it was in Indiana. And I did one session on the theology Two sessions on the theology of judgment. The first one I built on the theology of judgment that took place in the flood. The second one is the theology of judgment yet to come on the earth in the future. If the flood was not universally, geographically, and anthropomorphically universal, then maybe the next judgment is not the same. Do you understand? God sets a pattern with the flood. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, just like in the days of Noah. But the earth is being reserved for fire, kept for day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not let this one fact escape your notice. Obviously, they were letting this, they were missing this. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his prophecies, his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is this in another verse, just we're going to read in just a second. Tells us to be patient, even though God has made promises of what he's going to do in the future. Be patient because the world thinks that means he's not going to do it. I mean, 2,000 years, he hasn't come back, so he's not going to come back. No, that doesn't make sense. Let me tell you what makes sense. It's been 2,000 years since the promise was made, so you now we're 2,000 years closer to it than we ever were before. Just a different perspective. Because his promises are prophecies. He never lies to us, ever. And he wants the whole world to come, all those that have to come and will come. And don't get me started on that. I'm an antinomist. 
So pin me to the wall later. Do you believe in election? Yes. How much election? 100%. Then I'm a puppet. No, you're not. Why not? Because Jesus said you have to believe. Try and bring those two things together. Oh, my. And we human beings want to comprehend because we lost it in the garden. More ability to comprehend than we have now. And we're still trying to figure God out and we won't believe things until we can comprehend it. Just believe what the Bible says. He chose you and you must believe. Period. And don't try and skew that any further than God gives it to you. Listen, push pause. With God, he's not schizophrenic. He's not yin-yang. That's a counterfeit in Hinduism of the true God. That's how they explain evil. They just make God both evil and good at the same time. That's what Star Wars does. That's what the movie Star Wars did. They made God both good and, and bad at the same time. The force. It's all around us all the time. These distortions. God is holy. And yet he allows Satan to come before his throne to accuse the brother. Let's figure that out. I guess he's not really holy. No. God is sovereign. How sovereign? 100%. Then why pray? Because he tells you to. Well, I, I don't know how that works out. You, you're going to wait to obey him till you figure it out? Then you'd have to figure out God in order to obey him. Just believe him. By the way, if he's not totally sovereign, prayer would be worthless because there would be areas he's not sovereign over and he couldn't answer your prayer anyway. Are you with me? I didn't say, do you understand? You can spend a lot of time in his presence and just enjoy him. <laughs> I don't understand this, Lord. He says, I know you don't. But I love you anyway. Not wishing any should perish. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Day of the Lord. Now you can work theologically on this one and another phrase in just a second. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away. That, that said that earlier, didn't it? Right down in verse 7. It, not all the details were there, but right here, the earth and the heavens will pass away and the elements, get into that Greek word, will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The whole The whole kit and caboodle is going to go and melt down. I happen to personally believe the power of God when Jesus spoke calls it into being. His power calls it into being immediately. And why doesn't it melt down? He's got a big bomb waiting. He's going to set off a big bomb and blow up the whole universe. No, he's not. He simply lets go. His hand is holding it all together right now. Even the fist of the man who raises it in rebellion against our true God that his fist is being held together. The molecules are being held together. The Bible teaches. I can't take time to sustain them. So what does he do to melt the whole thing down? He just takes his hand off. And it returns to pure energy. Oh, my goodness. Now, here's, here's the conclusion of the message. I did, we did all this to get to this point. Ready? When is this going to happen? Oh, it's a long way away. Whenever we think something's a long way away, we tend to think it's not serious. Some of you don't like to go to the dentist. I don't I'm not crazy about it, but I don't mind. How many really don't like to go to the dentist? Anybody really don't like to do it? If I told you you're going to have to visit the dentist for some major tooth surgery in the year 2050, big deal. But if I said uh, prophecy, you're going to have tooth surgery sometime tomorrow morning at 8 all of a sudden becomes a big deal. You understand that the coming of Christ is imminent. That is, the rapture is imminent. Why? So the church would constantly be living 
taking showers spiritually all the time with the spiritual bar soap. Since these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Greek scholars go through and see how many commands are here. <gasps> commands. Be. Be commands. Be holy. Be God, have godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming day of God on account of what day of God? In which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, oh, his prophecy, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, oh, beloved, since you look for these things, well, I'm not looking for them. Who wants to look forward to this? If you aren't looking forward to what God prophesies is coming, this is key. This is why this is what God laid on my heart today. This is why we, here we are. Ready? Therefore, beloved, if you look for these things, be diligent. Be dil There's another command. Be diligent to be found by him in peace and spotless and, and, and be spotless and blameless and regard. There's another command. The patience of our Lord for salvation. Others are going to be saved yet. See this? So as also to all his letters speaking to them in these things in which are some things hard to understand, which are untaught and unstable, the unstable and the untaught distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, be, there's another command, be on guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own, you fall from your own steadfastness. Another command, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, let me conclude with a summary I typed up here sometime last night or early this morning. Put this into practice. What are the effects, if it's true, that God's going to melt this entire earth and burn it up? That's up here. That's floating up here in the clouds somewhere. So far from us, has no practical. Oh, no, wait. He's going to take the heavens, the universe, and melt it down. First of all, we know that because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth replacing this one. Maybe during the millennial kingdom, we can show where people there used to be an old dump heap, now covered up. I got some strange views in my life. One of them is we're not even going to go to worship in a new temple in Jerusalem that is built on any foundation stone set by Herod. That's just my view. That was free. In case you didn't have any fun to think about things. That's, well, that's another day. All the wealth in the world is going to be gone. All the health in the world. Listen, to you, health and wealth are not an issue. How long you're going to live is not an issue. You're going to die sometime or your God's coming for you. And then this whole thing is going to disappear. How about property? Y'all own property? I own property. It's so fun. I own now a bunch of trees in Kentucky. Went out this week and cut a chain off. Somebody put a tree stand with a deer stand. I, don't, I love deer hunting, but it was killing this big beech tree, so... I got a grinder and took it off. Can't grow with that chain around it. I love the forest. Well, your forest, I'm not crazy, but you got chiggers. You know what chiggers are? <gasps> Poison ivy, briars. In, in Wyoming, we've got wolves and we've got mountain lion and we've got moose that are crazy and we've got grizzly bear, but at least I can have my 45 Magnum with me and shoot them. I can't shoot a chigger. Unfriendly woods. I'm so happy to own some woods. It's all going to be burned up. 
well, then we might as well destroy it. No, it's it's owned by our Lord, so you'd be a steward over it. But you have coal to use. You've got fossil fuel to use. This is all Antichrist stuff you're hearing. You are not going to destroy this planet. God is going to destroy it himself. He started it, and he's going to end it. So prophecy is how he started it, and prophecy is how he's going to end it. Isn't that amazing? See a connection? So how should you live? All your prized things. What's your most prized possession right now? What is it? It's going to be gone. You know what this does? All your stuff. I got some really special stuff to me. I had a guy who just came back from Saudi Arabia. This is another doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. Because I don't think Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula. There's more in my all the time. I have a friend whose son is now working for the Saudis. And they're building a tourist town at Jabal Alois, the mountain El Musa. Because what's there fits the description in the Old Testament. A blackened, charred mountaintop where maybe God actually met with Moses. And he brought back a piece of stone and he gave it to him. It's in my office. Wow, it's one of my most prized possessions. It's all going to be gone. All right, your wealth is going to be gone. Don't worry about your health. Your property is going to be gone. Your prized possessions are going to be gone. Forget being a doctor to get in your master. All that's gone. Now, of course, it means something now and to you in the future, et cetera, with rewards. What have you got your hands on right now? You want to do this? You want to do this? It's all gone. Only things done for Christ will last. Amen? This is the conclusion. Ready? Now you have motivation to be accountable to God because you're going to stand before him to give an account for the things done in this body. Every one of you. But individually, I believe, I don't know how he can do this in seven years, but I think he's going to do it. And I'm going to. And when, I, and when it's me, I don't want to expect you to lay off in the back row. Hey, it's your turn. We're all going to be silent before him. And he's going to reward me and show what was done by his spirit. And the rest will burn away, too. Do you know and believe this? This is what Peter's saying. Knowing these things, it should have an impact on how you live today. You say it's a long way away. Don't ever say that with God. Because he could take you this morning, this afternoon before you get home. You could choke on your burger. Amen? I didn't say choke on your burger. You could choke on your burger. And I lost some dear friends since I was with you last. Actually, I guess I was with you in April. But my dear friend Patrick Marsh has gone home from David Menton. Brings accountability, brings stewardship, because I can send stuff ahead. I've never done a funeral. I've done quite a few funerals. I've never done a funeral where there was a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You're not taking anything with you. Every one of you came into the world how? You came into the world with clothing on? How are you leaving? Your body will be in a casket maybe with clothing, but you're not there. You're going to get a new body. Amen? So how should you spend your, your monies? How should you spend your gifts and talents? Are you going to spend them all to God and give them directly to him? Don't, don't, don't put God at the top of the list. You'll never get past number two. 
God and then my wife and then the ministry. Don't don't hierarchically do that. Put God at the middle. So now you're going to spend time with your wife because that God wants you to, and now you're faithful to God. You're going to go fishing sometime because God wants you to go fishing. Now you're faithful to God. You always keep him in the center. Amen? Accountability and stewardship. And one last one. Praise. Worship. Father in heaven, thank you for time that you have given me this morning dear lord jesus you are amazing beyond comprehension we come to you in faith and your book tells us what you're like and the more we know about you and practice it the more we can walk worthy as we walk in your spirit bless us i pray out of this group bring many who will commit and be accountable and be good stewards and worship you with purity in spirit and in truth and put you in your rightful place and honor you as God. Help me to do that. Give me grace to do that. Forgive me whenever I sin. You promise to do that too. It's prophecy. And I don't have to do penance. You take over immediately and you deal with the whole issue. Thank you. We pray in your name.